The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, choir, outstanding. Okay, guys, and you look, you look good in robes, okay? Good, good job this morning. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning, and what a, a pleasant surprise when Andy told me this week he wasn't going to be here, and and then walked in, uh, Donnie Stribble is here, and uh, Donnie and Ginger, uh, uh, the Witchers, uh, uh, we served together for 150 years at Fielder, and uh, uh, Donnie's a lot older than me, okay? And, uh, but if you, were, you have in life the, your favorite people, and if I were to pick out my favorite people other than family. There's four of them sitting right here today, and uh, you'd love to get to know these guys. They've been faithful servants of the Lord, and and uh, Donnie, all we need is Bob Pierce, okay? And uh, we'd have a real good time, wouldn't we? And uh, an old friend, but uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I, uh, you know, of course, I was taken back last fall when uh, Ella shared with me about his uh, God moving him to some exciting days, but that means God's moving you to some exciting days, okay, as you pursue a new pastor. And uh, this is, to be honest with you, the first time in my hundred years of ministry that I've ever preached on the first Sunday after the preacher's gone, because usually when the preacher's gone, I go, and I've, I've never been at this place. And and so I really, uh, when I'm preaching in March and April with you, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, and I'm more of a textual preacher. I'm a guy who likes to take a text and divide it up and speak out of it. But I asked the Lord, what would you want to say for this day, this Sunday, to this church, uh, the unique place that you find yourself at this moment in time? And so I decided to, rather than to have a sermon... I decided today we would have a conversation. <laughs> and usually, to be candid with you, that's what I do when I preach. I think about conversing with people about a, a, a subject. But today, I, I want to talk about pastoral transition. Uh, because some of you have been through this type of thing many times. Uh, I have myself been through it. And, and uh, it's the profession that I lived in for, for many, many years. Even to the point, uh, as I was leaving Fielder, I wrote a book. <laughs> the title of it was called Pastoral Transitions. It's primarily a book for pastors uh, to be reading about this uh, time of transition in their life. You may not realize this, but uh, 25% of all the pastors in America are over the age of 60. We are seeing a great transition right now between uh, usually longtime pastors in churches. And pastoral transition is a big subject today, something discussed very often because it is something very, very important. And so what we're going to do is draw out of Scripture some ideas about transition because the Bible gives us some stories of transition. One of the most successful is the one found in the book of Joshua. Open your Bibles to the book of Joshua. And why don't you stand with me just to honor God's Word today. And, And let's read these first verses of Joshua. After the death of Moses, now by the way, I'm grateful that your transition didn't have a death, okay? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is there, dead. Now, therefore, arise, 
go over the Jordan, you and all the people, into the land I'm giving them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates, to all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Great promise right here. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now, he uses a phrase that becomes very, very common for Joshua's life, but it is a phrase that needs to be there for every leader. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only do what? Be strong and courageous, being careful to do all that's in the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success You ought to underline in your Bible that phrase, good success, because we're going to look in just a moment at what it means to have good success, how that happens in this transition process. Good success wherever you go. The book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. And you will make it for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have, here's that phrase again. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, church leaders? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, let me just make a comment before you sit down. Uses a phrase here, do not be discouraged or dismayed. I would admit to you that in the years that I've spent in ministry, I've never seen a time that leaders have been as much dismayed and discouraged as today. George Barna just recently did a survey. And in the year 2020, 40% of all the pastors in the U.S. considered resigning. In the days ahead, when you begin to search for a pastor, you're going to go into an arena right now that has had some great discouragement. I work for the North American Mission Board, and one of my roles is to communicate with pastors. I've never seen it like this. The discouragement, the, 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 the being dismayed really describes it well. And so as you begin to search, what you're going to discover is there are many men out there that are just glad to be done, glad to be out of it, would do anything else rather than pastor a church. And so what God did was say to Joshua from the beginning, hey, you're going to face some stuff. You're, you're going to face some situations that are going to, to attack you personally and attack this nation. But what you've got to realize is what does it take to be strong and courageous? What does it take to be a man of God in the midst of great battles and in the midst of great turmoils? We're going to look at that this morning. So you may be seated if you would. But what, what I want to do in this message is crafted a little bit different. I want you to know if my preaching professor from seminary was here, he would probably not give me a good grade today on the structure of this sermon because there's some things I want to say in two sections. First of all, just some general ideas about this transition that you're in. I want to make a statement that's not really very profound, but I want you to remind you that transitions happen. Now, that you say, well, what do you mean? Well, you need to recognize that in the next few days, you're going to call a new pastor. 
But you need to recognize, listen to this statement, that every pastor is an interim pastor. There will be another transition one of these days. And transitions are part of life. They're part of our adult life, our childhood. They're part of a church's life. They're part of business life. Transitions happen everywhere. And so instead of rejecting transition and and acting as though it's an interruption, in reality, it's just part of life. It's part of the life of the church. But then I want to make another statement about this transition. This transition will not cure all the problems that this church has. You say, well, Gary, what do you mean? Well, every church is an imperfect church that's led by an imperfect pastor. Many times what folks think is, okay, great. We're going to solve all of our problems. We're going to get a new leader. It's going to be different in this way because Ellis was just like the rest of us. A man who was a man of God, but a man who had weaknesses. A man who had some things he did great, some things he did not do so good. And you could begin to think right now, well, you know what we're going to do is we're just going to run over here and we're going to solve all those problems. We're going to solve all those weaknesses. What I find very often is churches do is they they swing the pendulum of, of the kind of person they're looking for. And oftentimes... It's in reaction to the past, whether good or bad or however that it was. One one of the things I've heard recently very often when churches make transitions, especially when it's someone who's in my age group, upper 40s, early 50s or so, or, or something like that. But oftentimes when pastors in this 60 and over group move on, the very first thought of the church is, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go get a young guy. <laughs> and because we want to reach the young people. And they think that doing some kind of transition like that will be helpful. But I want to remind you of something. Young pastors will do it differently (laughs) than you do it. Uh, Those of you who are in this room, as you know, you have kids and grandkids. Do they go about life differently from us? They do. And the idea that somehow magically you would fill this room with young people because you've got a young person is not the way to look at things. And that's typical of what many churches will do in wanting to move in the transition of pastoral leadership. And it's a reminder to us that what you're going to get in the future is not going to solve every issue. In fact, what it's going to do, it's going to create a whole new set of issues that you'll need to deal with. But then another statement is as you make this transition, I'm going to make a statement right now that's going to kind of shock you. And it's going to maybe even upset some of you, is there's no guarantee that you're going to have success with this. And you say, Gary, what do you mean by that? Well, there's no guarantee of that. As you read through the scripture, you see lots of different transitions. This one from Moses to Joshua was incredible. Moses came along, and, and, and over these about 120 years of these two leaders, Moses come along and takes a group of slaves, and he moves them to the Jordan River, and they cross over, and they go into that land, and then Joshua leads them to conquer great things. My goodness, what a great transition. There was a transition between Elijah and Elisha. The great prophet Elijah, my goodness, Elisha had a double portion. A double portion of his grace, and, and you see this incredible transition, the transition with David and, uh, to Solomon. David was a great king. 
David led that nation to great places. Solomon comes along and you read that. And the wealth and the splendor and the success and the wisdom of Israel transitioned into that man Solomon. What a great transition. And as you read through the scripture, you find lots of great transitions. But church, I'd also remind you that you have a whole lot of them that didn't go right. You just take Joshua. Do you ever remember who followed Joshua? Do you remember the experience of Israel after Joshua? They didn't decide they needed a leader. They went uh, several hundred years, uh, 400 years of judges, and the people of Israel thrown to and fro, and those 12 judges that led them in that time usually had to come along to rescue them out of great harm. And, and, And you see this man, Joshua, ought to know about a great transition, but it wasn't so good. Then you take Solomon. Surely Solomon would have known how to transition things like his dad transitioned to him. But what happened to him? He chose Rehoboam. Rehoboam, his son, and he made a mess of things. Uh, You read through that. Just read it sometime and and you see that he was a guy who wouldn't listen to anybody. He was a guy who thought he knew everything. He was a guy who thought he would go out on his own, that he didn't need God. He had better ideas than God had. And what do you have out of that? The divided nation. The divided kingdom. And Israel never recovered from those times whenever they had that division and all that went along in that experience. And you discover these times of transition are not very good. And so what I want to say to you, quite honestly, is no matter how great this church is now, no matter how great it has been in the past, no matter how successful it has been in ministry in this community, let me be honest with you. None of that, none of that guarantees that this transition is going to have, going to be successful. What's going to happen is in the days ahead, you're going to choose a committee and that you, in fact, uh, Keith Lowry and Ellis have told me some of the great leadership in this church and and I know your staff and I, I sense the great leadership within this church and you'll do everything you can, everything you can under God to succeed. And to bring this success. But what this says to you and me, in light of what we read in the scripture, is these next few days, possibly more than any other days in the life of this church, needs to be handled with great care. As I prayed about this sermon, and I know Bill and I talked about what's been going on in forming your prayer team. I really decided what I wanted to do was try and alarm you today. It is very easy to sit here in this room and be in this great place and you have this great choir and this great staff and this great ministry and believe that in this comfort zone that someone great is going to want to come to be a part of this and it just guarantees that the future is bright. I want you to know it doesn't guarantee anything. There's no guarantee that in the days ahead you are going to be successful. And so there's going to be, it is very, very, very important to you that these days are handled with great care. And that you understand today that as you move out into this and as you look around you, and I know Donnie and Bill and I could sit here and tell you today of the many experiences that's going on today where churches have thought they called the next Billy Graham. And before you know it, things are in a mess, and there's trouble, there's difficulty. There was a day when you could go choose a pastor, whether he was 60 or whether he was 40 or whether he was 25, and they were all the same. 
want you to know it's different nowadays. And just because someone has been successful at this church does not mean a thing about what's going to happen in this place. In fact, in our day and time right now, as I said in the ministry, there's great turmoil. And there's turmoil in churches. Did you know there are a thousand churches a month closing in America? Let me say that one more time. There are a thousand churches a month that are closing their doors. And do you know why? They didn't handle this time with great care. Uh, understand that 80% of the churches today are plateaued or declining. Helps us to understand there's something going on in church life today that is very critical and something that is very disturbing. And as we see church life in America in decline, church attendance in decline, ministers who are dismayed, you're moving into an arena to seek a new leader that you understand needs to be handled with great care. Because you need to understand that, yes, you're going to have a great committee, I'm sure. And all you're going to have a prayer undergirding. But it's not going to guarantee success. In fact, let me make a statement to you about the future. And I hope this statement just scares the hooey out of you this morning, okay? You need to know that no matter how diligent your committee is, you will not know what you're getting until he's been here a while. And he won't know what he's getting until he's been here a while. Let me make that statement one more time. No matter how diligent this committee is going to be, no matter how faithful they are in doing what God wants them to do, no matter how careful they are in their search, you need to know you're not going to know what you're getting until they've been here quite a while. I remember Donnie after I had been at Fielder just a few years, a member of the pulpit committee came up to me and said, you know something? If I knew now what I knew about you, I wouldn't have called you. And I said, well, if I knew about this church, what I knew, know now, I wouldn't have come, okay? <laughs> Once you know, that person became a, was a great friend of mine. We didn't agree on a lot of things at times, okay? But in reality, and you say, well, th- did they not investigate you? James Lehman, a member of their committee who was a policeman, called the police chief of every city I'd ever lived in. I was so grateful that I paid him off, okay? And uh, I'm so grateful that I didn't run through a stop sign or something. I I had a church one time that was asking me to come to a call. You know what they asked me for in the last week before I was supposed to come? They wanted my tax records, my income tax records. Why? Because they knew how important it was to know who I was. But in reality... No matter who you call, you won't know what you're getting until they've been here a while. And they won't know what they're getting until they've been here a while. So you say, okay, Gary, what in the world can we do about that? How can we move from this place and make this transition and by God's grace have great success? Well, the first thing is to recognize that God has a man for this hour. God did not prompt Ellis to resign and move to very fruitful ministry if he did not have a man for you in the future. And you need to understand that Moses knew there was a man. His name was Joshua. And Moses understood what was going on in that time and the necessity of a leader. And it says in this book, the Lord is the one who put his hand upon him. 
In fact, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible is found in the book of Samuel, where it talks about when Israel needed a king to replace Saul because God had rejected Saul. And so God sent the prophet Samuel searching for a king. Do you remember he went to a guy's house named Jesse? He went to Jesse's house and Jesse had a bunch of sons. And so he said, Jesse, one of your sons is supposed to be the new king. And I'll never forget that scripture. So Samuel did what he was supposed to do. And he said, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. He said, consecrate yourselves, come to me with sacrifice. And he considered Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came in, he looked at Eliab and thought, well, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Why? Because he looks so good. You know, by the way, not every pastor is going to look as good as Donnie and me, okay? And so don't depend on that, all right? Well, he, he said he looked so good, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but looks, who looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. And so what happened? It said this, Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then he made Shammah pass. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made his seven best sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, is this all of them? Well, he said, there remains the youngest. Behold, he's a sheep herder. He didn't look like any of these other guys. Samuel said, well, go get him. Have him sit, I'll sit here till he comes. And he brought him in. Now when he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome, and the Lord said, arise, anoint this man, this is the guy. So what I want to say to you today is there is a man that God has called. There's a man God has prepared. There's a man whose God has moved in his heart. And so the issue is, The issue is not seeing things as man sees it, but seeing things as God sees it. And recognizing that God has looked to and fro across this land, and he's looked into the heart of someone, that he's prepared their heart and prepared their life for this place. And what I would say to you as a church is, I don't care how long it takes or what it takes. I don't care how long it takes or what it takes. Wait on God's man, because you need to know this is what God has called. The second thing is when that person comes, follow that person. You say, now, wait a minute, Gary. I've learned, heard a lot of bad stories about pastors who have led churches to do some stupid stuff, and they just followed him off the cliff. I'm not talking about that kind of fellowship, okay? I'm talking about the belief that if God's called the man, that you can trust God, that you can follow the man. That if you've done due diligence and prayed about it, you can know that when they put a vision on, God puts a vision on that man's heart, he's put that vision for this community. And yes, in discussion with him and learning how to dialogue together as a church properly, not griping about what you don't like, but adding spiritually to what's going on. When you begin to do that, God formulates that vision. But when that vision happens, learn to follow it. And learn to trust that we have a God who's going to take care of the people who learn to follow his leadership. 
Now you say, Gary, how can we know that? Well, that's one of the reasons why Bill has formed this group to pray. One of the very most uncomfortable things you can have happen in your life is in some months ahead, when that person has come to be a part of this church and to lead it, and they bring something to you God has placed upon your heart, and it's going to cause you to change and cause you to be uncomfortable. You're going to begin to say, well, maybe, maybe he wasn't the person. Well, all you need to know to ask yourself is, did I pray? <laughs> did I spend the time in spiritual disciplines that it takes so I can hear from God and we can know what God's will is? So find someone you can follow, someone you can trust. Someone that God has put his hand upon. But then another thing. I'm going to use a word three times to emphasize it. It is the word character, character, character. I want you to know today you're going to find lots of great preachers. You're going to find lots of guys who know how to organize things and do things. But you need to know something. A minister can never overcome bad character. If bad character is within that soul, it's going to be something that becomes lived out. Character is so, so, so important. Now, that's not perfection. didn't say perfection, uh, perfection. I said character. We find David had a great failure in his life, but his character was right because he wanted to be right with God. And when Nathan confronted him, he got it right. When he got it right, God used him mightily in the days ahead. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about someone of character. Now, the question comes, how do we test someone's character? Have you ever been in the place of hiring, selecting someone, and you need to figure out who they are if they are a person of character? I can remember the days of ministry when I was making these kinds of choices and <clears throat> so many times felt like I was a failure at that started reading some books, and some guys started talking about how you can really test somebody's character. One of the things the guy said, you know, you need to realize everybody's got one good interview in them. He was basically saying every preacher's got one good sermon, okay? How do you test character? One of the, he made suggestions. Like go driving around with him in his car. Let him drive. Now, my wife would say to you, that's why I'm not qualified to be a pastor anymore, okay? Is, uh, follow me, I'm going to kill some folks, Okay. But see how he treats other people. Spend some time with him and his wife. See if there's mutual respect. See if he honors her like God's called him to honor her. About giving. I'd find some way. I'd find some way to have an understanding of how they spend money and their attitude towards money. Why? What you're wanting to do is test their character. And understand they're going to lead not out of their skills and abilities. They're going to lead out of their heart. Learn how to test that character. And then another thing is look for a strong leader. Now, I remember years ago, uh, Joel Gregory, uh, when he was pastor down the street at that little church in central Dallas, okay? Uh, Joel Gregory was doing a conference, and he talked about the skills necessary to be a pastor. And he talked about on one end of the spectrum is the chaplain. This is the person who feels with people and, and understands people's needs and meets those needs and how important it is for a pastor to have that within him. So then he said on the other side, he's got to be a CEO today to lead a church like this. Better have some CEO talents 
Because he's going to lead a several million dollar budget. Going to lead strong leaders. Going to lead people in a multi-million dollar facility. Going to make some incredible decisions. He said, if you don't have somebody who is a CEO who can organize things and move it forward, they're not going to get there. But what it is, is in the spectrum of ministers today, there are guys all along that spectrum. And let me say to you, having a chaplain as a pastor is a great thing. Because when you're sick or when you're needing, you're going to find somebody who, who, who works with you and loves on you and you love them back and you, and you just love the way they love people. That's wonderful. But I want you to know, you're going to need somebody who can lead you. You're going to lead somebody who can understand staff organization, understand how to get a vision and, and fulfill it, understands how to hear from God and be able to be strong and courageous and stand before the people say, God's spoken. God's led us to do this. God's led me in this direction. Now, that doesn't mean he's like Rehoboam, won't ever listen to anybody, not somebody like that, but somebody who understands how to hear from God, understands how to trust the right leadership within the church, and hear that as well, and let God speak through that. But what will it take to do that? It'll take someone who is a strong leader. Joshua was so much that man. Joshua was a strong leader and led them to conquer those lands. Moses was a strong leader. And all that went on with Israel, what did they need? They needed somebody who would not get dismayed and be destroyed by the first problem that came by. And usually chaplains, guys more like that. I'd encourage you, as you look on that spectrum, to understand in today's time, we need leaders within the church. It's great when there's great preaching. I want you to know you can never overcome poor preaching in leading a church, okay? But I want you to know if all you know about that man is what he does right here, you're not going to know the man for the future. You've got to have someone who can get away with God and hear from God. And when they hear from God, be able to come back to the people and say, God has spoken. Because I would admit to you in the days ahead, in the days ahead, Church of America is going to face some incredible challenges. You face some incredible challenges. Do some studies of the demographics of the neighborhood around you. Look at the world around you. It's changed dramatically in the last 30 years. The same way of doing the same things won't work anymore. You've got to have someone who's able to get alone and find God get leadership. I can remember some years ago at Fielder, I started a practice that at first I felt a little uncomfortable with, but I hated being gone from the church and the staff and ministry that once a quarter I would get away for four days and do nothing but pray and seek God. I had a pastor buddy we would go together. And yes, many times I would leave Sandy and, and she had all kinds of things to do and I'd have, but in fact, I said to one of the men in our church, I feel bad leaving and do this. And the guy looked at me and said, you need to recognize that's your job. Get away. Hear from God. Know what God says about the future. And I want to say to you today, as you begin to look for the future, the man you want, you've got to know when it is needed by Joshua, when there's sin in the camp, they can stand up and say there's sin in the camp and deal with it. But when it's time to do battle with Jericho, listen to the eyes of God and the ways of God and to do it God's way and to conquer this community, not in the way somebody else has done it, but the way God has shaped you and shaped him to care for the future. 
I remember I was playing golf one time with Jim Henry, who's a great hero of mine in Florida. Jim Henry was pastor of First Baptist Orlando, Florida, president of our convention once. And Jim was a, a pastoring, interim pastor at a church. And he said, we're looking. And I went to give him a name. And, and uh, he said, well, let me ask you about this guy. So I imagine he wouldn't recommend if he wasn't a good preacher or whatever. But I, I want to ask you, has he ever led anything? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, has he ever been captain of the football team, main cheerleader, a guy who leads the, ba- the drum major of the band, president of the chess club? Has there ever been someone that the people looked to and said, you're not perfect, but we want you to lead us? And that person stood up and led, did what God had called him to do. Well, I want you to know in the days ahead, find someone that's been a leader, Someone who's been willing to be strong and courageous, maybe not perfect, maybe not someone everyone will say everything good about because some of the people will not like some of the things they do. Someone, though, who's able to get away, hear from God, hear from God, stand in this place, and be strong and courageous in telling you about the future. I remember some years ago when I was at Fielder, uh, they would allow me to have a preaching assistants, that young men at the seminary who would come, and I'd mentor them and help them. One of them was a guy by the name of Jim Locke. Jim came to our church. He'd been a very successful uh, insurance agent. God had called him the pastor. Never pastored before. Jim came to me to help us and went through seminary, made a four-point seminary, brilliant guy, did some ministry. Our church was great, but he got through a seminary. He didn't have a place to go. He came to me and said, Gary, what am I going to do? And I said, well, we're going to give you an office, give you a title, give you some salary. We, we had a philosophy at Fielder about seminary students. We uh, worked them cheap and stacked them deep, okay? So we'd go over there and get cheap guys, okay? But Jim's someone I recognized, but nothing happened. All fall. And Sandy and I were on vacation with our family to Branson, Missouri, right after Christmas. Dead time in Branson. Don't ever go that time. We got there. It came Sunday. And we weren't going to church. Finally, I just felt guilty. That's what preachers are in charge of, is making others feel guilty. So God made me feel guilty. I said, we're going to go to church. So I opened up the Yellow Pages. And I began to look through the Yellow Pages, and no church in Branson could meet at a time we could go. And so I began to look in the area, and right outside of town, there's a little town called Forsyth, a town of about 1,500 people. They had a church service we'd go to. I said, let's go. So we packed up everybody, drove about 10 miles outside of Branson, went to church, and we got there. And they had, would you believe, a guest preacher that day. You know, guest preachers are never worth anything, okay? And I'm sitting there, I go, this is going to be great. Discovered, Discovered they had a guest preacher because their preacher had resigned. And the church had been gone a long time without a pastor and were very, very discouraged. And that day they were speaking about the fact that we got to find God about what he wants. Now I finished the service and I walked up to somebody and I said, is the pulpit committee chairman here today? He said, yeah, here's George. And George came out and said, George, you don't know me. I said, you know, I could, I could be a door-to-door encyclopedia salesman. You wouldn't know it. But I realized I'm a, I'm a pastor in Arlington, Texas, right next to the seminary. I got a guy on my staff that's never pastored, but I can tell you I see something in him. Some church is going to be blessed to have Jim Locke. He said, well, give me his name. So I gave him his name. Six weeks later, Jim Locke was pastor, First Baptist Forsyth. 
that church, which was not much in that rural area, relocated its facility out on the highway. Was running about 150, went to 600, 700 in attendance. Jim then moved to Pensacola, Florida, has now built one of the greatest churches in all of Florida. Where did it come from? God took a man from Tennessee to seminary, schooled him a little bit and got him ready in the way that he led and moved him into that place. They prayed and they were desperate because they realized the times were desperate. As they sought the Lord, God gave them one of the greatest young men in America at that time, a man that God had prepared for that place. How's that going to happen here? What's it going to take? What's it going to take for this church to have good success in the future? Well, I think Bill has established the foundation. Not just for the committee, not just for the deacons, but for the entire church. So know how to pray. I'd encourage you at every single meeting this church has that there will be a time that you pray for God to give you God's man for the future. That every time you gather, there will be a moment, if there's two or more, you say, well, you know, if there's two of us here, God wants us to do what? Pray. Because you know something, you're not going to know what you're getting. But God will know. And God has prepared the heart of someone is to be your leader for the future that you can trust and you can follow, even if you don't agree with everything, that you can follow. Why? Because God said, this is the man for you. So what are we going to do today? Well, we're going to practice what we preach. We're going to spend some time in prayer. We're going to be a little bit late to the cafeteria today, but that's okay. That's okay. Because more than anything we need to do, we need to pray. Here's what I'd like to do. If you are a deacon or a deacon's wife, in this church, would you please stand up? A deacon, deacon's wife, stand up. Okay? If you're a part of the prayer team and you're not a part of this group, please stand up. Okay? All right? If you are a Bible study leader in this church, would you please stand? Okay? Around this room. They don't allow deacons up there, huh? Is that what it is? Okay. Okay. Here's what I want to ask you to do. We have a concentration of them over this direction. I'd like for just the two of you, if you would just go to the balcony, take those Baylor kids up there with you and pray for Baylor when you go up there, up there to the top, okay? And uh, then right here, if two of you would head up to the balcony, okay? And those of you who are right here, would you kind of look around and see where there's a gap in this room, Okay. If there's several of you, like right there, the two of you that wave at me right there, would you move kind of over to this side of that section? And Bill, would you take this group? Oh, we have deacons in the choir. That's good. Okay. All right. I'd like for you to get in groups of four or five, okay, around this room. Okay. All right. I'd like for you to turn around and lead an area around you. If you'd split up as a couple and one come right here to the front, 
Uh, Bill, if you want to do that, okay. Okay, there, there's some up there. You, if you would go to that section right up there and lead that section. Somebody is coming right over here. All right, that section right here. Okay, turn and everyone look at each other and stand up, okay? And I want you to look at someone who's your leader, all right? Okay. Okay. Whoever it was that stood up, I want you to lead your group holding hands and lead them in prayer, okay? All around your deal, if you hold hands with their folks, someone... We have no deacons in the orchestra? Okay. Right here, your orchestra director is going to lead you. Dear God, thank you this day that you do say to us, call out to me and see if I will not do great and mighty things in your midst. God, your people today are crying out to you because God, this is your church. This place of leadership in this church belongs to you. And God, it isn't a church that calls, it's you that calls. God, we believe today by faith you've already done the work in the heart of someone that you want to be in this place. Not someone who aspires to it. Not someone who seeks after it. Someone, God, you have shaped. And God, it can be some tall, good-looking guy like Saul. Or it can be someone like David, smelling like sheep. God, what counts is that you have put your hand upon Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that this church not move until you say move. But when you say move, they follow because they've learned your will. Do it, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.